Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. It's the 27th of January. This is Mornings Without Carmen this week. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for today and uh, tomorrow's Friday as well. Delighted to be joined by Paul Perot in studio. Paul, we've been chuckling this morning a little bit about our coffee habits. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you're accusing me of being a little bit junior varsity with my coffee because I need a bit of cream still to this day. I've never been able to go fully black coffee. (laughs) Do black. It's healthier. More caffeine. You get the antioxidants because the cream ruins it. Oh, I just, I can't quite get there. I need that little hint of, of sweetness in the coffee. So delighted to be joined by all of you as well this morning listening. It's just so fun to get up in the morning like this and uh, start our day as just the believers in the community of faith. I was talking to my class this last week about the idea that we don't choose to be in relationship with one another. We're designed to be in relationship and God has put us in relationship with one another. And so to the extent that we can walk in joy and in peace and in laughter and wonder and in love these different things, we really have an opportunity to shine God's beautiful light in the world around us. And Paul, I know our first guest coming up does just that. And the Reverend Justin Jepson, he is uh, the the formation director here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. He also runs the entire chapel program. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about the upside down nature of the kingdom in terms of the headlines of the day. And I know you and Carmen, week in and week out, it's a challenging task to try to bring the mind of Christ into the headlines of the day. It is so easy to get caught up in the way the world thinks about a lot of these issues. And it is, it's a struggle, but yes, that's what we try to do to apply equally to apply correctly God's word to the situations as best we can. Yeah, and one of the things that I think makes that challenging is so often, whether we know it or don't know it, the values of the world around us, even in a country that we love, like the United States of America, don't necessarily fit perfectly together like an interlocking puzzle with the values of God's kingdom. And sometimes if we don't sort of sit back and look at what were the words that Jesus actually said, Mm -hmm. right? it's really kind of revolutionary and, and not like revolutionary. We're going to take over the society, rage against the machine. I'm not talking about that. I'm not just that saying kind of revolution. It's so different than how we tend to do our lives. And Justin and I are going to talk a little bit about the idea of Jesus's first beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that's so different than what we see in the politics around us, where it's about who has what power. It can be different than how we even raise our kids at times, which is we want to make sure your resume is built, that you Mm -hmm. have everything all together, that you can do you, that you can find your way in life. And, And I think as we sort of recapture what the words of Jesus are in the invitation, it does help us then interpret some of the headlines in the world as well. It really does. And especially you were talking there and it got me thinking about our job is to help our kids help ourselves help others flourish right that doesn't necessarily mean uh, although a good resume is good it's not the thing it is to be a person who does flourish well and i think that word flourish is so important too because the word prosperity for example in the old testament sometimes we think 
that prosperity references the idea of I have a lot of material wealth, I have my health, I have good relationships. But to be prosperous in sort of the Old Testament Hebrew of the original mm-hmm. language is the idea that you you have a sense of wholeness, mm-hmm. even when there might be absence in your life. And thus, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need for wholeness mm-hmm. in my relationship with him, even when life does get difficult. Again, these are these sort of revolutionary ideas, I think, for people's lives. It is, it is. And it's something that we've gone far afield from, in my opinion. But. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, we're looking forward to our conversation. We'll take a short break here with Reverend Je- Justin Jepson up next. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus's invitation to blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, Justin, I was sure you could have seen Paul's devious look on his face when he decided to introduce you with that specific walk-up music. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. So, that is... thank you, Paul. <laughs> that was from the 1950s. There was a cartoon series, The Nutty Squirrels, and that was one of their theme songs. Oh, oh. <laughs> we oh. love that. So when Peter was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, you know, I appreciate that woke kidding. me up taking a shot from the millennial. Wake, wakes a guy up in the morning. It's great. Well, great to hear your voice this morning, Justin. I appreciate you joining the show. Uh, listeners probably are familiar to some degree with your voice if they listen to Faith Radio on a regular basis as you join Bill Arnold and me, too, and the Guy Talk segment that happens four o'clock central time every Thursday and just love the perspectives that you bear, not just from a sense of the millennial generation, but also just a, a deep anchoring in God's kingdom. And part of a podcast you and I are piloting right now that will launch here probably in a month or so about the idea of what does it mean to live in God's kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So that'd be great to have you on the program. Before we get into Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit, though, we were talking coffee a little bit earlier. My understanding is, <laughs> Justin, that you actually roast your own beans. You millennials, you have all these tools. You know, I grew up with Folgers commercials, Justin, and and you have like mm. your little home roaster, from what I understand. Yes, that that is true. But I have to say, I was actually influenced to begin roasting my own coffee by my father-in-law and by a dear friend of mine, who I think were both uh, baby boomers. So, okay. I yeah, I don't I don't know if it's a generational specific thing. I think it's just, you know, a coffee lover thing. And once you once you begin roasting your own beans, you, you will not go back to buying them from anybody else. Yeah, that's what you, you you continue to encourage me along those lines. So I will give it a shot at some point. I'll give up the cream, roast the own beans and, and see if I can get yeah. into your category, you know, uh, of just sort of your, your ability and your palate and your sophistication related to it. So you and I, we, we talk often, and especially we talk with our students here often at the University of Northwestern St. Paul about the idea mm-hmm. of walking out life, being anchored or giving allegiance to the one and only eternal kingdom that will mm-hmm. exist. This is the, a, a child has been born to us, a son has been given, on his shoulders will be a government that will know no end, it's a, it's a kingdom mm-hmm. that will expand. And so often, the values that we live by, which are very understandable, but uh we need to consider those in light of the words of Jesus. And and specifically, Justin, Mm -hmm. when Jesus first stands up in the Sermon on the Mount, he stands on this hillside outside of the Sea of Galilee. His ministry has been inaugurated. The Spirit has come. Mm -hmm. The heavens have rent open. God has said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus decides to stand up and say these words, the first words out of his mouth. You want to know what life is like in my kingdom? Here's the deal. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who actually know that they don't have what it takes, not that they have what mm. it takes, but that they don't have what it takes, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And with that, we really mm-hmm. see a different invitation into a different way of life right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think these words, um, they're, they're just a complete reversal of the cultural values of, of not only, uh, you know, the people in Jesus's day, but certainly in, in, in ours as well, you know. And I, I think if you look at this list, uh, I, I love it. It's not a list of to-dos. It's not a list of uh, things we need to accomplish or things we need to achieve. Um, it's a list of the type of people that will truly be able to fully enter into and experience uh, the reality of God's kingdom now, uh, but also the fullness of His kingdom that is still yet to come. And and, and but really, the ones who receive those promises are the ones um, that that really uh, g- get behind the the type of the qualities and the type of characteristics that that that, that are outlined here. Um, you know, in the Beatitudes, I love. Uh, Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, um, calls this a list of God, uh, a God-based inversion mm. um, for the hopelessly blessables and finds at work uh, a gospel for the silly world. And so, in, in other words, what Jesus blesses here is completely countercultural and it's revolutionary. So he's really turning things inside out, uh, and the culture inside out and the society upside down. That is quite the phrase, the happy blessables, right? I mean, yeah. There's some translations in the Greek that would take <laughs> blessed and it, it would just mean happy or the sense of that mm. there's a fullness, right? And, and I think about all those times, and I'm yeah. sure that listeners can identify with this, Justin, where you think your sense of happiness or fullness is going to be sort of proving out that you do have what it takes, whether it's success mm-hmm. in a job, whether it's uh, finding a spouse, whether it's relationships that are going well. But Jesus is saying, here's the first step. Take an honest assessment of who you are and take an honest assessment mm-hmm. of of just the temporal nature of your life, what you're striving for, maybe feeling hollowed out, whatever it all is, and say yes to that. Don't deny it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to mm-hmm. uh, make something a game of pretend. You really don't yep. have what it takes. There's a huge cosmic warfare going on right there. And so here's the first step. Here's the deal. Admit just, you know, you don't have what it takes. I, I just can't think of places yep. where that's the invitation very often. No, and certainly not the entry point, you know, and, and, I, and I think that's what's so, you know, beautifully ironic about this first beatitude. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you come to me, to those that come to me with their complete nothingness, to them, I will gift my fullness. And and so that idea of, um, you know, this the idea of poor in spirit is actually an idiom in the Greek that that only occurs right here in Matthew. And I think it has both in mind, um, you know, this idea of not only spiritual poverty, but also a physical poverty as well. So, you know, the kind of the corollary teaching on this uh, in Luke 6, uh, the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Luke, Luke just actually says that, you know, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom. And so um, it's interesting that I think that, you know, there's a, a group of um, historians that believe that the Jesus actually had in mind a a group of Jews called the Anawim, so which is a group of economically disadvantaged Jews, hmm. and um, and this idea is that they were characterized by they were economically poor, but yet they trusted in God. Um, they found their way to the temple as a meeting place, and they longed for the Messiah who would finally bring justice. And so, you know, you think of people like uh, Anna or Simeon, you know, that they greeted Jesus, um, you know, in the temple. We think of people like Jesus' own mother, Mary, Joseph, I mean, w- w- would have been classified under this group. So Jesus really grew up in this economically disadvantaged, uh, you know, community. But I think another portrait of this that we see in just the broader teaching of Jesus' uh, king about the reality of his kingdom is that that of a child. You know, he says later in Matthew, Matthew 18, that unless you become like a little child, 
um, you you will not be able to enter the kingdom. And so I think it's this acknowledgement, um, really a happy acknowledgement of our complete and utter dependence upon God as our Father, and that apart from Him, we have absolutely nothing to offer, we have nothing to give, but that type of posture um, positions us to be able to receive everything that Jesus has to offer and, and to give. And that's why this, I mean, the beautiful promise of this, for theirs is the kingdom. I love that the present language of this isn't for theirs will be the kingdom or there might be the kingdom. It's theirs is the kingdom mm. of heaven. So there's a reality that the, the poor in spirit are able to live into right now. And, and I think in an ever increasing way until the fullness of God's kingdom is consummated at Jesus' second coming. Thank you so well said, Justin. And, and I appreciate the what you what you mentioned there that the state of being impoverished in your spirit or the the state of being impoverished economically isn't the blessedness of itself. What it does is it reveals what's true and it strips away the falsities and the idolatry of our life in, in terms of whether we try to lean into ourselves mm-hmm. or, again, the circumstances around us. And once we sort of step back from that and acknowledge and say, wow, life is pretty tough and I don't know what the future is going to hold mm-hmm. and, and, and difficult things happen and we live in the midst of this present darkness, as Paul would describe, in this age of the mm-hmm. earth as we await for the bridegroom to come for the bride. And in the midst of that, the invitation is step back, recognize that you are poor in spirit, but that's not the state of blessedness. The state is then you lean into, then you surrender, and then you, you, yeah. you sort of give your allegiance to the one true king. We'll take a short break. When we come back, Justin, yeah. just a minute, I'd love to talk a little bit. So as you walk in life in the kingdom, what does it mean to grow in wisdom and stature and power as a disciple, again, in a very countercultural way? So more to come with Justin Jepson next on Mornings Without Carmen. It is about 20 minutes after the top of the hour, and we are talking about life in God's kingdom with the Reverend Justin Jepson, who heads up and, and shepherds as the, the formation program here for the University of Northwestern St. Paul's students, as well as running the chapel program, brings in the guests and the and, and the people that speak to our students, just shepherding them along. And Justin, we were talking a little bit about sort of the entry point into God's kingdom is this sense of spiritual impoverishment that can often be recognized through just our physical impoverishment in life as well. But once we step into the kingdom, I'm so curious because there's a sense in which as disciples, well, we should have it all together, right? Once we say yes to following (laughs) Jesus in sort of this post-Christian world, we've then got everything we need in order to really manifest his light in the world. And I'm so encouraged by the Matthew 10 story where Jesus then says to his disciples after a little bit of time with him, why don't you head out in the villages and give this whole thing a shot, right? Like represent me in the villages and they go and they try to do this and they come back and then they say, Jesus, we got nothing. We have, we have no idea how to do your life. So why do we think that in our discipleship journey, that it's anything different than any other part of life where we have to grow in wisdom and ability and capacity and, and, and power and all of that? Um, what's the upside down sort of teaching that, that is driving this? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think one of the beautiful things is, again about the poor in spirit. I think uh, that mentality and attitude is not only the the entry point into the kingdom, but it's the ground that we walk on towards maturity. And um, I, I have a a mentor of mine that says, you know, the the hardest thing about the Christian life is that it's so daily. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, and this this idea of the poverty of spirit, it's really a daily walk. And, you know, that's why Jesus said, if, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you may, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so, um, but I, I think one of the key differences too, of this, that, you know, the, the disciples in Jesus day had just simply a taste of, 
Um, but now we, we actually have a fuller expression of it is, is life in the spirit. And so this type of life and maturity is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think of, you know, later in, in, in the gospel of, of Luke, you know, it, he told his disciples who had walked with him for three years, they had experienced his miracles, they had seen firsthand uh, the, you know, the teaching and the authority, and they, they knew, you know, everything there was to know and knew Jesus better than anybody else. But yet he said, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I mean, he'd given them commission, he'd given them what to say, he'd given them where to go, he'd given them all the marching orders, but he said, you are completely dead in the water apart from the enabling power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so I think it takes a daily dependent walk um, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it cannot be done in isolation as well. And mm. so that's why when they waited, they waited together. And so the Holy Spirit, didn't, you know, at the day of Pentecost didn't come upon just one person. It came upon the whole company who had been praying together constantly. So I, I think part of this um, daily growth and maturity is the way that we gather with other believers in community, which uh, obviously in the, in the light of a global pandemic it presents its challenges, um, but it's still possible. And it's something that we have to fight for, something we have to be intentional about, something that we need to prioritize um, because the Christian life um, cannot happen um, in isolation. It has to happen in, in context of uh, being vitally connected to the body of Christ, which is which is the church. Yeah. Um, in, ver- in all the various forms of, of expression. Of yeah. That. So, uh, so no, yeah, that, those would be. Yeah, that's the, it's interesting in the New Testament where the, all the yous are plural, right? Or so many of them. Yeah. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit together, not not you as the individual. We have to do this together. Justin, we have a, just a few minutes left here. I'm, I'm sort of curious then, uh, tying this back together to the idea of happiness, what it means to live a mm-hmm. life where there's a sense where you, you have an unencumbered life. And it doesn't mean that the circumstances yeah. are around you are easy. It just means that somehow you're unencumbered. The people that I know don't have a false humility about them. Oh, it's all God and not me. And, you know, they just, they, they have a sense of settledness about what is just simply true about the human condition. And they've embraced that. And, and do you have just have some t- simple tips for people to say, gosh, how do I move from a life where I'm trying to strive and prove and succeed and, and all of that to just this sort of sense of a settled, unencumbered life that says, Hey, look, I don't have it all together. This is, this is the words of Paul. That, that says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not us. How do we move from that striving after to that settled disposition that says, yeah, I don't have it all together, but, but God at work in me will? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. In a couple minutes, that's a really great question. <laughs> right. um, and a lot that could be said there, right? Um, but I think, yeah, that, that you know, idea of, of those who are blessed, those who are happy, those whom, you know, another way of putting this, God's favor is upon or... God has reserved his abundant life. Um, and, and I think that that word abundant life is another way to, to really understand um, more fully and more robustly of what Jesus is talking about. He says, blessed. And, and that phrase of abundant life is talking about uh, in John 10 of Jesus as our good shepherd. And so um, I think for me, one of the ways that I do this is I, I daily in prayer and need to be reminded of who God is. And so it's the simplicity of spending time, um, uh, undistracted time in the scriptures, um, praising God for how his word reveals him to me. Um, I journal this. I actually have a list of theological, personal theological statements that I rehearse in prayer every day, not, not as a list, like a religious thing. I I mean, it could be that, but, but I say, okay, Jesus is my, my great shepherd. 
well, how does that intersect with my daily life? Mm. Um, and Jesus is, my God is sovereign. My God is holy. My God is wise. My God is, is graciously accepting. My God is ever present. He's all powerful. And, and I have this, I have this list that I just, I prayerfully go through, um, every single day. And then I also have a, a personal identity statement because, you know, really the, in order to be humble, um, humility arises out of a high view and a right view of God. I'm only going to see myself rightly in, or if I see God accurately for who he is. Mm. And so, uh, in light of who God is, I, I'm reminded of who I am. And I know we're often, you know, we quote this a lot, not only who I am, but whose I am, who I belong to. My life isn't my own. I've been bought with a price, you know, um, that I am one who has been, you know, I'm deeply loved. I'm fully forgiven. I'm totally redeemed and I'm eternally valued in Christ. And so it resets and realigns my heart for what my, what I what I truly value, what only can truly satisfy, and where my ultimate allegiance is as I go about my day. And so, you know, I would encourage listeners um, even write that out, spend some time, uh, and, and do that as well. I actually did those exercises in the context of community, hmm. and I did that with other believers, and so that I was hearing what other people were saying and how God was making Himself known through the Scriptures to other brothers and sisters, and what they were affirming, um, you know, biblically speaking of who they are in Christ and their identity. And so, um, that's something, again, it has to happen daily. I, if I go two or three days without doing that, it's like, I start to unravel really quick and, uh, I start to become impatient, irritable, um, <laughs> and you know, the reversal of the fruits of the spirit. And I think it, the last thing that I could say too, I think we live in such an, you know, a culture that expects instant results you know, we're not, there's no such thing as instant maturity. Um, you know, we, we, we have to trust the slow work of the Holy Spirit that produces the character of Christ in us. Um, and I think more often than not, we trust the gifts of the Spirit more than we trust the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. And we sometimes can falsely equate Christian maturity with giftedness or talent, which we know that's not the case. And so I think that's what we have to fight against, especially in our culture, um, that really idolizes, puts you know people that have a huge platform, that have a huge following on Twitter, yeah. um, and recognize and, and embrace the hidden life in Christ. It's great stuff, Justin. Really appreciate the wisdom as always. Looking forward to swimming around in this a little bit more with you this afternoon as we invite uh, longtime pastor Dave Johnson in the conversation on the podcast about blessed are the poor in spirit. It's such a counter-cultural way of life. And appreciate the wisdom and insight you bring. Thanks, Peter. We'll talk to you soon. We'll take a short break here and some bottom of the hour news. And when we come back for the second half of this hour, we'll be joined by Ruth Kramer and talk through some of the international headlines that are relevant to us as believers. You know, Paul, on Monday's show, I had what I thought was the best job opportunity available that I'd ever seen, which was $47 an hour to be a candy confectionery taster out of a company out of Canada. But I think today's, okay. I think today's actually might trump Monday's job opportunity. This one says that a website offers $3,000 for a real-life Sleeping Beauty, so clearly I qualify, to get paid $3,000 <laughs> to test out mattresses. It says that sleepjunkie.com said the chosen candidate will be able to sleep on the job, trying three top-rated mattresses in a two-month period, and writing reviews. And you get, again, $3,000 to simply sleep on the job. Wait a minute. 
Let's merge the two jobs, the sugar job. <laughs> yeah, and that 47. because you're going to have a sugar coma. You might as well have That's a really good You can get paid $47 an hour eating candy while then going to sleep for the extra $3,000. Exactly. I, I will be submitting my resignation later this afternoon. Matthew 627 says, can any of you add a single hour to the span of your life by worrying? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. No matter how hard we try, it's really hard not to worry about your kids. It's scary to watch your child choose the wrong things, but part of the reason God may allow your child to struggle through some things is to teach you to believe that He is in control and that you can trust Him. Jeremiah 17 says, Blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water. Its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought. Do you find yourself weary from worry? Relax. God can be trusted. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. And that does mean that Star Trek junkie Ruth Kramer of Mission Network News has joined us to talk about some of the international headlines that often can relate to us as believers, thinking through some of what's going on globally, just even outside of our country. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? Well, it's good to hear your voice again. Are you still, you know, the last I remember talking to you, you were you were a marathoner or a sprinter or some kind of runner. I've never understood running, Ruth, because I don't <laughs> run unless I'm chased. So, so tell me a little bit about your running habits. Oh, that's opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm not a marathoner. I'm right. a sprinter. Um, so I compete for U.S. Mas- uh, U.S. Track and Field Association as a master. And that just means I'm older than the other athletes. <laughs> <laughs> so not a master runner. All right. It was, it's an honorary title. I get it. Well, it's great. Well, no, it's, it's a category. So okay. it's a category of runner that is not elite. It is not um, a professional. Um, and um, we are still competing as track and field athletes. I'm a sprinter, so I, I focus specifically on the 100 and 200. And I'm in the top 25 uh, for women in my age group for both events. Oh, that's amazing. I, so uh, one more question on that quickly. What, what is a, a proper 100 time for a top 25 athlete in your category? It ranges anywhere from um, 13.26 seconds. Uh, actually, I think the Australian uh, master runner who holds the number one spot in the world is under 13 seconds right now. Um, the rest of us schmucks are between 13 and 14 seconds. <laughs> well, that's still a minute and a half faster than I can do 100 yards. That's for sure, uh, Ruth. Well, great to hear your voice again and looking forward to some of these headlines as well. We see that the migrant caravans are back in the news. I think it was maybe three-ish or so years ago that there's quite a bit of controversy about what to do with people that may be under duress in their home country and they're looking to migrate into the United States. And what do we see with this? Because there's quite a bit of promise from the new presidential platforms and the party and administration coming in that they would upend some of President Trump's maybe more restrictive immigration measures. So what do we see here going on at this moment? Well, we see a group of Honduran migrants who are actually trying to make their way to the U.S. border being stopped in Guatemala. And uh, we're talking maybe 7,000 to 8,000 Hondurans who are trying to cross uh, over into the United States because of those uh, hoped policies that were going to be changed. Um, and the, right now, they're, they've been turned back. They're not being allowed to go through. Uh, the issue is that uh, you've got this mass grouping of people um, who are 
not really um, well prepared to make that journey. And you've got COVID-19 that's raging through the area and you've got a close grouping of people. So there's concern that they could be bringing disease with them. There is concern that um, there could be other trouble once they actually get across the border. So there's a lot of um, movements between the governments to try to figure out what to do and how to respond uh, appropriately to this group of people. Uh, so they're not here yet, but the top immigration official in Guatemala says it's not over yet. There's another group about the same size that's also on its way. This is going to be an ongoing conversation as the policies in the United States change, and we've got to be able to put into place a uh, response for how we're going to deal with this. Uh, right now, we have partners who are working in both Honduras and Guatemala who are just saying we need to continue to pray for those who are involved in ministry in these areas. Part of the reason people are fleeing to what they think might be a better situation in the United States is because of the extreme poverty that they're facing in their countries, the uh, drug cartels that are so violent, um, the the issues of uh, children disappearing and being sold off and the human trafficking kind of rings. Um, you have the COVID-19 issues that have exacerbated the poverty issues. And on just with all of that, you had Tropical Storm Ada and Hurricane Iota that hit kind of a one-two punch in both of these areas. And people just haven't been able to recover financially from the devastation of those storms. So you would say that, you know, they're looking at a situation um, that they think is going to be better in the United States. And they're kind of being in a held in a no man's land right now while the countries figure out how to respond to that. Uh, the ministries who are working in these areas uh, have their hands full, have had their hands full. Uh, so they're asking us to continue to pray for them. Come alongside the ministries. If you know some that are working, we specifically spoke with AMG International that has work in both Guatemala and Honduras. Uh, they come alongside the local church to empower them to be the hands and feet of Christ in their communities. So you see transformational change happening in the communities where they are involved, very much like what happens with Compassion International, uh, where they bring in the gospel and they start to to kind of help the, the, the community with building blocks of the community. So clean water, um, education, um, medicine, and then that kind of stuff uh, to help the communities stabilize a little bit and to enable people to be able to um, find a way to stay home. Mm. Ruth, at what point does the capacity and the compassion that we should understandably have, at what point does that uh, outstrip our ability to provide the kinds of resources needed for people globally? There's so much need. I think, uh, I don't know if you're like me at all in the sense that you look around the world and you think the need is overwhelming. So, so how do you discern and at what point do you say this is what we can do and this is what we can't do? I think it's a really difficult thing to do, especially for those people that are moved with compassion to brothers and sisters that are hurting globally. Well, I would say, first of all, pray into the situation and ask God to lay something specifically on your heart. There are stories that hit people different ways. Some people are really focused on what's happening in India. Some people are focused on really what's happening in China or in Central or South America. They love these countries, and there may be a reason for it. It may be that God is directing you to focus your resources and your attention onto coming alongside the body of Christ in those countries and making a change and, and maybe getting another way to get involved aside from uh, supporting the ministries and praying for them is to actually go and be hands and feet uh, in places where you can do that. Um, so I would just say 
pray about it and ask God to reveal something to you and, and lay something on your heart that reveals an interest in these kinds of stories. It's not for for no reason that certain people have an extreme interest in in specific areas. If there's um, you know a specific thing where we have we have writers who love to write the stories about kids because they love education. We have another writer who focuses loves specifically India, anything about India, and she's all over that. I focused on Africa um, because these are the areas that speak to our hearts, and I think these are the areas where God calls us to find a way to be part of the story. I think it's fascinating, Ruth, just that when you do decide to ask God for some wisdom and some insight about where you can get involved, how often and how quickly doors open that become relatively obvious. So I appreciate the encouragement on that. We'll take a short break. When we come back, let's change the topic to uh, how COVID is impacting the North American culture for the people that uh, that are indigenous to our land. And there, there's a, a significant loss of heritage, of rituals, of story and culture there. So I'll get into that with you next here, Ruth, on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this week as Carmen has a well-deserved holiday this week. And we're chatting with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. And Ruth, some of the the maybe not talked about impact of COVID in our country has to do with First Nation people, the, the Native American culture. And we really are seeing a very significant impact specifically on a sense of heritage and culture in terms of what's being almost eliminated from from a generational history here. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on. It's a difficult subject. Well, you, we have to understand, first of all, that uh, the First Nation is under-resourced to begin with. So when COVID broke out, they were um, more at risk because they had fewer protocols available to them. They were more at risk because they're a community-based society. And they were more at risk because the vaccines that they have either aren't getting to them or they're being taken by other people. Um, in this situation, uh, the elders of First Nation are are extremely at risk. So um, they're already in a higher risk category um, for the virus. And when they were getting the virus, um, the issues that were coming to the forefront uh, were not necessarily widely um, known. And what we're seeing now is that these are the people who hold the stories of their culture, the, the, the languages of their culture. So when they die out without being able to pass that on to the next generation, that's part of the culture that dies out. Their language, the, the specifics to the stories that maybe haven't been passed down the way that they used to be passed down, um, and, and, and those kinds of things that make the tribes unique, and that's what they're actually bringing to the forefront now, and and letting people know um, that COVID nineteen is kind of wiping out the native elders, and with that, the tribal languages and history of those tribes. Uh, the concerns are that once we're past the pandemic, what kind of damage will have um, been left behind in this culture that has such deep roots in in what we call America, um, and because of that, uh, you have ministries like Ron Hutchcraft Ministries, who has a uh, connection with On Eagle's Wings, which is a, a, an evangelical ministry to First Nation. Um, 
They're trying to just kind of bring it to the forefront so that we can be praying about the situation. We can come alongside ministries like On Eagle's Wings and enable them to be hands and feet of Christ in these situations and to do simple things like um, making sure that the elders, the elderly in these remote communities are not completely forgotten. People are checking in on them. People are making sure that they have what they need. Um, there's a community that's surrounding the First Nation youth that that is encouraging them to get out there and to make sure that they check on their elders and make sure that they're okay. Um, it sounds like a very simple first step, but it's like so many other things. Sometimes people just don't know what to do until they're instructed, until someone gives them or educates them uh, specifically on here's the steps to take to make sure that you can get around the other side of this and and um, and lessen the devastating impact of what COVID-19 is doing to your elderly uh, citizens. Yeah, Ruth, there's a concept called opportunity structure, the idea of who has what opportunity and who's starting at maybe the positive 50-yard line in life and who's starting at the minus 50-yard line in life, to use your runner's sort of example. And and I think this is what we see within the indigenous people of the, the First Nation is that it's a minus 50-yard line so often, and, and we see the disparity of that in, in the just capacity to be able to to get the the vaccines and and to have the care needed on that. Well, let's change the topic uh, over to the idea of religious freedom. I know that we talk a lot in our country about religious freedom from a political standpoint and how an administration may or may not impact that for us as a country. But this also has an impact for people globally in terms of their religious freedom and the expression of it. So tell us what you're seeing with the new administration coming in, in terms of the impact, again, globally for religious freedom. Well, the Biden administration is inheriting a uh, a rich um, response to religious freedom issues. Uh, it, the Trump administration took a lot of steps uh, within this specific scope to strengthen um, the freedom for people uh, to be able to worship as they saw fit. Um, now, when we talk about religious freedom, uh, religious freedom for everyone promotes religious freedom for everyone. It, and it enables the, the followers of Christ to be able to share their faith in a more open way and have dialogue with people who don't believe that so that you can you can start explaining the truth and living out the truth in a way that doesn't have such severe consequences as what you might see in countries where um, it is extremely difficult to live as a Christian. So the Trump administration got behind a lot of different things during uh, the years that he was in, in office to be able to encourage countries to make steps toward that. And we think that the Biden administration will continue that. Um, and that is something also just by virtue of the, uh, of the people that he's looking at uh, uh, appointing and, and keeping with the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. We think that's probably going to continue, which is good news. And a lot of the ministries that we've been talking to about how will uh, an administrative change um, how are you looking at that? Um, most of them say, we think it's probably going to stay pretty much the same. We don't think it's going to shift away from that. We don't think um, the support's going to fall away. Uh, and, and then almost right out of the gate, the U.S. condemned China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. Um, so that was an immediate, sharp first step to draw attention to the issue that the U.S. is still serious on international religious freedom issues. Um, in fact, they called China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims a genocide, and that is a really strong term because mm. with it, it brings all of the muscle of the State Department to bear. 
And it, it means sanctions could come as a result of that. Um, it's going to make talks a little bit more difficult, but that's one of the big things that a lot of the other faith-based groups were saying needs to happen in order for us to continue to make strides on religious freedom fronts in other countries. We need to call out the things that are genocides. We need to take steps and say, we see this. We don't think that this is something that you should allow to happen. We would like for you to stop it. And if sanctions is one way that we can see that, we're going to ask for those things to, uh, to move forward. So as far as the body of Christ goes, um, these ministries that we've been talking to, like SAT7, um, and 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 ministries that are connected to the U.S. Uh, Commission on International Religious Freedom, Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs, they're all saying continue to pray for the Biden administration as they really get their teeth into um, what they're going to be doing uh, for the United States over the next four years, um, and pray that God puts the right people in a place to continue to speak out because, you know, when, when, when people draw attention to, um, injustice, it allows the opportunity for truth to step in there. Great stuff as always, Ruth. Really appreciate your wisdom on this. Also your awareness of what's going on globally. It's just so good to be connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Have a great rest of the day. You too. We'll take a short break, wrap up hour one of this show, and preview what's coming up next on hour two on Mornings with Carmen. Paul, I'm really moved by what Ruth had to say around just our, the First Nation people. Mm -hmm. I, I think forgotten people is not an unfair phrase. There's, there's no. such a forgetting of what has happened. And, and I, that idea of opportunity structure where certain people really do start at the minus 50 yard right. line in life and, and whatever else we want to say about prosperity and equality and, and shalom and flourishing and all of these words that we sort of get thrown around. I think this is a great example of a community of people that really could use some intercessory help to, to sort of get up at least to the starting point because right. there's just, they're just being left behind. Yeah. And to, to be advocates for them. Uh, I, you and I were talking off mic a little while ago, saw a news article about a, uh, some people who are some rich people. They flew up to uh, to Alaska right. to get the get a dose of the uh, COVID vaccine, but the, that vaccine was supposed to be set aside for the Inuit people in Alaska. It's like, yeah. really? I mean, it's for them, and you're you're. It, it just it was. It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah, I just I think about Jesus's words about how he is. Uh, come for the least and the lost and and uh, some of the people in that time of Jesus didn't come to the table with him because they mm -hmm. thought well, we've got it kind of all together we don't need this thing and so he just said beat the bushes bring out the highways and the byways exactly. anybody that would come and it's almost always those people who are hurting and suffering and lost that going back to what Justin and I talked about at the start of our one blessed are the poor in spirit right blessed are exactly. those in that place of impoverishment not because that state is blessed in and of itself but it gives us an opportunity to see to see something different and as Christians we can minister to the people around us so great first hour We'll look forward to coming back with Bill English, BibleandBusiness.com, coming up here at the start of Hour 2 on Mornings Without Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.